Welcome to Calliope's Sanctum, a bi-weekly story podcast hosted by me, writer Sylvia V. Linstead. This podcast is dedicated to Calliope, primordial and first muse of epic poetry in ecstatic song in ancient Greece. This podcast is a place of sanctuary for her oldest stories. It's a return to the wild garden, to the spring, to the ground of being and the source of inspiration in the earth. Here, we honor Calliope as muse of earth. Here, you will find some of the stories beneath the stories of old Europe. Short fictional and poetic pieces written and read by me that explore elements of indigenous old European mythology with a focus on pre-Hellenic and pre-patriarchal Greece. So come sit with us in the honeyed light among the ripe pomegranates in Calliope's sanctuary, where the stories that arise directly from the ground of being and life force can still be safely told and celebrated. Come lean against the sun-warmed stones with the fragrance of propolis and myrrh in the air and the trees heavy with autumn quince. This is the garden before the fall, a sanctuary for all hearts to return to in this time. Join us and be revived. So welcome everybody to this inaugural episode of Calliope's Sanctum. Um, I'm so excited to be offering this new space to all of you to come and gather and listen to these stories as offerings bi-weekly. Um, it feels so wonderful to be able to share them in this way, just freely and openly with all of you. I feel like it's just a time that we need easily accessible story so badly. So it brings me joy to be creating this space and to open this first episode with Calliope herself. And I'm going to share some notes about her in just a moment, but I just wanted to first give my gratitude to all of you who are listening and just many blessings in this potent new year, in the depths of January, in the depths of so much global intensity. Just hoping that this space and this story today and all the stories to come can give you solace and hope and beautiful seeds of love to guide your way through the year seeds of wildness and abundance and deep connection to the earth. So I'll just give you a few notes about Calliope before we begin, Um, just to place this piece that I've written in a little bit of context. I also want it to be able to stand on its own, but I think that some mythic background is helpful. So Calliope is probably first mentioned in writing in Hesiod's Theogony um, as being one of the muses brought to Mount Olympus to dance and sing and sort of share their inspiration there. Um, And she's called the mother of Orpheus, you know, famous Orpheus, who could charm any beast or bird or anything in nature with this, the beauty of his music and the constellation Lyra, the lyre um, that's visible in the winter sky is said to be his lyre, but in some older stories it's actually said to be hers. And in this piece I kind of mix around the myth just a little bit and imagine um, 
Calliope and Eurydice, Orpheus's lover, as kind of one, because um, I'm interested in the fact that, you know, Eurydice doesn't really enter the myths of Orpheus until a little bit later. Um, so I'm wondering about the name of his beloved to begin with. And sometimes in these very, very old myths in that part of the world, in the Mediterranean and the Near East, the the mother-son is a really potent erotic duo in the myth. Not speaking of incest, but just um, on a symbolic level, the mother and the son are also mother and lover. Um, excuse me, yeah, yeah, mother and lover. Um, or woman and lover, goddess and lover, mother and son. Um, and kind of this endless cycle of birth and growth and union and death and return. And so... I just imagined Calliope into that role in this particular rendition. Um, that was just my creative imagination playing with that. Her name means beautiful voiced. It's an ancient Greek word. And I'm, I'm interested in the fact that there's a couple other very ancient, mysterious female figures, such as Callisto. Um, that means fairest one and was a title of Artemis. Um in her iteration as a she-bear. And then there's also Calypso, which has a different meaning, which means um, hidden secret, kind of like um, it's the opposite of apocalypse. So that which is veiled and apocalypse is the unveiling. That might be a false etymology there, but I'm interested in the similarity of sounds of these names and their ancientness. Um, There's just not a whole lot really known about Calliope, like in a deeper way. You know, she's the muse of epic poetry and ecstatic song, ecstatic harmony, um, and the beauty of her voice. And otherwise, all the facts that we find about her are like who she was married to and her sons. <laughs> and I tend to kind of not trust those bits of the history because I have no idea what the layers of like um, conquest and colonization that are going on are there, right? Like what leaders and warlords and, and whatnot came in and said, okay, let's just stamp our name next to hers. Oh, she was the wife of, you know, a king of Thessaly. She was the mother of Orpheus. Um, Some, you know, this idea that the female deity or the female power figure is given legitimacy based on which men she's connected to. So I'm just not sure about that part. It's not particularly interesting to me. What's more interesting is what it means that she's the muse of epic poetry and ecstatic harmony. And on that, there's almost nothing except that she just is. So we have to use our imagination um, to sort of liberate her story. So this is my poetic tribute to her. And then a couple quick notes before the piece. Um, You can actually have the whole written piece as a PDF download um, on my Patreon So it's offered there at the $5 a month level, which is the Labrys level from a few months ago. And then also, speaking of ecstatic Cretan music, I thought it might be exciting for you listeners to know that in February I am hosting traditional music 
from Crete, so two traditional musicians, Yanis on lute and Andonis on lyra, and they have a band called Zigya, and I'm going to be hosting them at my home here in Inverness, California, and on February 22nd and February 29th, they're going to be offering workshop performances at my home here. So this 22nd is actually totally sold out February 22nd, but February 29th, we just opened that date because there's been so much interest. So if you're interested in an evening of traditional Cretan music, which is such moving, gorgeous, incredible music, it makes me cry. Um, And so they're going to be doing a performance as well as kind of a presentation about the music, about history of their instruments, some of the history of the music on the island, and then some explanations of the songs as we go, as well as some dance demonstrations. So there'll be that, as well as a feast of traditional Cretan food. And that'll be from 4.30 to 8.30 p.m. on February 29th, 2020, Saturday. And then, so you can just sign up for that part, or you can sign up for a whole day with... Also, Minoan-inspired ceramics with me and my dear friend and uh, the artist Catherine Seek. That's from 12 to 3.30. So you can find out more about all of that on the website um, for the event, which is zygiamusic.com, Z-Y-G-I-A music.com, and there'll be a link to that below as well as the Patreon. So without further ado, I bring you Calliope. Calliope, the muse. For eons, as long as the star's procession, when Vega was once the North Pole, shining blue, the eye of Earth's axis, Calliope's worth was measured by the inspirations she could give to men and gods. O muse, they called, sing to me, O muse, O purple-footed Calliope, O singer of stars, O mother of song, I need you. I want you. Fill my lungs with divine breath. Fill me with memory. Fill me with the history of my people, with the language of birds, with the words to sing this song of love, this lament, this prayer. Some called her essence honey, sima in the old language, elixir of life. Some said it smelled of lemon flowers, of nard. Others insisted that it was the scent of rose blossoms, of dew on the crocus at first light. The wisest knew that such scents drew water from the rivers of the dead, that she could go that deep and dark too. They needed her too, for they were not so brave. Sticks, leith, acheron, Those waters flowed through her, back to the root of the pomegranate tree, the quince, the laurel leaves offered in her palm. They called her sea foam, so cold and bright in winter and all the deep pearls in it. They called her all the stars, especially the blue light of Vega, the node of the holy lyre. They said Orpheus played to Eurydice, who was muse to him and lost her life when he turned away. But they forgot it was Calliope's lyre. She forgot it was her lyre. For a time, Calliope thought 
She was Eurydice. When Orpheus turned away, saying he must find himself alone, that he must know his inspiration as sourced only in his own lungs, she was shocked into seeing. She was jealous of his lyre, jealous of his solitary lungs, jealous of what inspired him without her. She saw, shocked to see, that she wanted to be the breath that filled him, the light in his fingers when he played, the pathos in his voice when he sang. She wanted to be at the root of his making because she had been given no other power or worth for eons. Since the time Vega, her star, the star that once shone at the rim of her lyre, since the time it pointed true north, since the time she was free, And yet, when she had been only that, his muse, she had resented how he looked right through her, how he called her the sun, but only saw it in the ways it reflected back inside him. She felt she was wasting away, being invisible like that, going indistinct. She had wanted him to find his own song, but when he turned to do just that, She saw a truth so old in her, it had become part of her name. Calliope, sing to me, O muse. It was an order. It was not her fault that it had become an order. It was not her fault that she was enslaved to it so long it had become her name. But still she fought herself like a cat at first, tooth and nail, spitting, wild, hating herself and him for how easily he took his freedom, how easily he threw away her gifts. She saw it all clearly, coldly, as if she was watching someone else in the hollow place he left behind. She saw how for all these eons, She had been forced to make her beauty out of the breath she blew into others. That was all that was left. She had only seen herself in the light in their wide, dazzled eyes. She had lived there. This had been her purpose, her gift. Pouring herself like a blue river the color of Vega, shining and then refracted, scattered through all of his sculptures, all of his songs, all his proclamations, all his novels, his poems, his fame, his hands on her body in the deepest part of the night, pressing her, draining her, keeping her alive. In this, she had filled him and filled herself again and again. It was not her fault. In the very beginning, eons ago, she had done it because she was forced because she wanted to live. She had been captured by new gods while dancing purple-footed in her own meadow, beside her own spring. She had been taken to the high mountain in the, in the cold far, far from her sisters and made to dance as Hesiod sang. Before all his gods, she danced. She poured all the essence in her out before them so that she might survive, so that she might have a place to sleep and wake and see another sunrise. Her country had been enslaved, 
her people taken, she had nothing left but to dance and to sing and to pour forth that blue river and hope that in singing she would keep some part of her own history and her own people alive. But after millennia, one forgets the reasons for these things. One forgets in order to survive and then believes so fully that the believing is better than any ball and chain. Again and again and again she came when they called, full of nectar, bound to the hunger of poets and bards and kings, keeping her heart alight with the fire she lit in theirs and loving them truly while she did. The last one she had loved the most of all. She had become so good at loving this way. The more broken the bard, the more she loved him. Perhaps she saw her own brokenness and the brokenness of her history there and thought that she was mending herself by pouring Vega's blue river into him. When Orpheus turned away, shocking her electrically, when she saw him growing as if from his childhood again inside himself, when she saw that he was more creative without her, freer, he said, Happier, he said, because he had never been so free in himself. At first, she despaired. She went down to the underworld. She became a phantom. Then she saw the truth. I have been a phantom all this time. A shadow of what I might be. A shadow of what I was. I have been a very compelling phantom, powerful even when I am transparent. But I have not yet, in these 4,000 years, been muse to myself. Even Eros has fooled and drained me. Who is Calliope when only she may claim her own name in creative arrest? When she replies only to her own cry of, Sing to me, O muse. How powerful might I be when I am not transparent? but full with my own song. She saw that she had lost her shine for him because he had taken all of it in. And he had lost his shine for her long ago because his was buried under hers. He pushed away. He went inside his childhood, inside other women and out again. She went straight down without looking right or left at other men into the chasm at the center of her world, the one that long fear and servitude had trained her to avoid at all costs. I am my own world. I am my own word, she said in astonishment, looking in the mirror there. I am my own word. She went into the darkness at the center of Crete, at the center of herself, all the way down, all the way through, to find that she was endless. She was Nile silt and the blue lotus. She was whitewashed temple and a thousand bees and the queen bee at the center. She took her own breath away. All of this was hers? She sat as muse before her own easel, before her own spring, before her own reflections. There were no chains, 
They dissolved. No one could bind her anymore. The whole world opened. She was the earth when he turned back to look for her. He was the sky when she glanced up, enraptured with her own creation, and saw him. Saw not her own light, swallowed and reflected back, but his own light, radiating the sight that had first drawn her to him as her earth had drawn him to her. This is a new story beginning. It's not the one where Orpheus goes to get her in the underworld, his wraith-like love drained of herself, only to lose her again when he looks back to make sure she's real. This is a different story. We haven't heard it, not for 5,000 years at least. How Calliope went into the underworld alone to drink herself full. How Calliope became her own muse and brought herself out again. How the bard king climbed back through his own darkness and saw at last the cornucopia he had been blind to for eons.